0: This is the Ned Group Investments podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you.
1: I think before we start, there are two points that I would like to stress. The first being that South Africa is currently in the process of recovering. So there is a recovery underway. However, this recovery isn't really growth. It is more a normalization in economic activity of a very low base and an artificially low base that was created yeah. by the shutdown of the economy under level five lockdown. So that's the first perspective we do need to bear in mind. The second thing is, even though the economy is recovering, the truth of the matter is, that South Africa is caught in a long-term trend of economic stagnation. I don't want to depress you today, but it is unfortunately the reality. This is an economy that's been in trouble for quite some time. And that long-term trend hasn't changed. And you'll see it clearly visible in some of the graphs I'll show you today. We're not going to focus on it, but it is there and it is as clear as day. So we're gonna have a look at what is likely to drive growth or economic activity over the next 12 months. So clearly we have to make COVID our first stop. Um, I know we're all sick of it. Uh, We just wish it would be over. We are all very familiar with the numbers. We hear them every single day, but it is unfortunately a key uncertainty and therefore it will have a bearing on our economic performance over the next 12 months. What we have seen over the last little while is that uh, we've seen a rise in COVID infections again, the world over. Uh, This time around, uh, the surge in infections have been driven by the Delta variant, which is more contagious. Um, And I think the jury is still out as to whether it is more deadly, but it's definitely far more contagious. Uh, The latest sort of jump in new cases um, on a global uh, scale has really been caused by um, a surge in infections in Asia and also in the United States. In South Africa, as you can see, we're still in the middle of our third wave. We passed the peak, but what we are seeing about this third wave, which has also been driven by the Delta variant, is that, in fact, we have a very long tail. It is harder to break um, you know, transmissions, and it's harder to bring new cases down to a much lower level. So this wave is different from the first and the second wave. Uh, there's less of a normal distribution, and we've got this long tail at the end. The good news, though, and there is good news here, is that what we have seen is we've now got data with infections rising the world over what we have now is data from advanced countries where large and sizable portions of the population have been vaccinated. What we can see now is that vaccination actually works. The vaccines are effective in protecting against serious illness and against hospitalisation. The UK is a good example of that. COVID cases have surged and the Delta variant has been the driver of that surge in, in, in new infections in the UK and yet hospitalizations and deaths have remained at very low numbers. So that's the encouraging news. I don't think we can talk of herd immunity anymore. I've heard some of the experts point this out. It is clear that COVID can spread, but the key thing here is to get everybody vaccinated and get them vaccinated as quickly as humanly possible. And that will really relieve the pressure on your, on your, on your hospitals. It will relieve, um, uh, the threat, will remove to some extent the threat of death. And in that sense, it will then become very much like your standard flu. That is the hope in any case. And I think there's enough evidence to suggest that the vaccines will do that job. So the strategy for the next 12 months for South Africa has to be vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. And what we are seeing is that South Africa is not doing badly on this front. We have stepped up the pace of vaccination. We are on the map now. And you can see these are the countries that are leading in terms of um the number of vaccines being administered on a daily basis. They are predominantly, you will notice, developing countries um, and or developing emerging economies. And what has happened during the course of the second half of last year and into the first half of this year, the rich countries did the road, uh, the path. They basically vaccinate their populations at a very rapid rate. They've now reached fairly high levels of vaccination, and they've just got that last hurdle to overcome, and sadly, in some countries like the U.S., what they've experienced is that uh, demand for vaccines have dropped off quite sharply, even though it is readily available at substations and pharmacies and all over the place. Despite that, what we're now seeing is that developing countries, emerging economies are playing catch up and they are stepping up the pace of vaccination. And South Africa is one of those nations. So we're not doing too badly on that front at all. Um, We have already administered about 10 million uh, doses, uh, which is you know, of the vaccine, um, which is good news, of course. Uh, and as a percentage of our population, we're now at that point where we're at least getting onto the map. You can see we're still miles behind your rich countries, your advanced nations, um, where many of them are in a situation that they have vaccinated over 50% of the population fully and they are approaching the point where some of them are close to 70% of the population that has at least received one shot. So we're miles away from that, but we are making the map now. We are uh, at a position where at least 15% of our population has received one jab. So clearly this is important. Why? Because that will determine uh, whether we have... A situation where we repeatedly enter the lockdown with or without alcohol consumption. And of course, we know that this has a disruptive impact on economic activity. It, it doesn't completely derail the recovery because government has gotten smarter in terms of how it applies these COVID containment measures. So that's the, the, the one good bit. But it still hurts economic activity. It still undermines your rate of recovery. So if we can get our vaccine rollout going and we can speed matters here yeah, and we can get this done very quickly, then that will reduce the risk of us entering stricter lockdown measures um, over the next 12 months, which will automatically um, improve our chances of stronger economic growth over the next 12 months. Very importantly, If we can finally get to that status, where the bulk of the population, adult population, has been vaccinated, I also believe that that will enable us to open our borders. It will also um, make many other countries reconsider um, their uh, go-to lists. Um, At the moment, we're not; um, we are a destination that is blocked, um, that countries advise other uh, their citizens uh, to travel to, and obviously we have to change that situation. So the sooner we can get to that point, the greater the probability that we'll see the return of international tourists, which will obviously help our hospitality industry, which is a big employer. Tourism, host, hospitality, entertainment, that's a big employer. And as you've seen over the past week from the terrible um, unemployment numbers we had, uh, where unemployment by the narrow definition hit a new record high of 34.4%. And by the broad definition, which includes over 3 million discouraged individuals, rose to 42%, which is also a new record high. So I think the recovery in the services sector, particularly in tourism, hospitality, that is key to changing the employment dynamics in South Africa and giving that a lift. And the key to that is vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate and get to that mark where you have the bulk of your adult population uh, vaccinated. So people can literally, other countries can lift us off their don't-go-to list and put us on their go-to list. Another factor that obviously will drive growth going forward is clearly exports. Exports have been a key factor already in terms of lifting the economy to a higher ground. It's been uh, the surge in exports have helped to return us to some level of growth after the shutdown in the second quarter of last year. And so it's been a major driver of the recovery we've seen so far. And we believe in the next six months, it will remain a key driver of the economy going forward. This graph clearly shows you uh, South Africa's trade situation. You see there in green exports, you see And red. Imports, and you can see how exports have just pulled away from from, um, imports, and we now sit with a massive trade surplus, um, and we also sit with a current account surplus, and this has been a key factor behind the resilience in the currency. So there's been many advantages from this nice little windfall gain we got from the recovery in exports. One advantage, obviously, is that we are now net earners of foreign exchange, which means that that supported the currency, which has helped to offset many inflationary forces that other countries have had to deal with, particularly other emerging markets. So even though we've also seen our producer inflation rise, um, we haven't seen it rise to the extent that many other emerging economies have experienced. Um, And in fact, producer inflation in the last count, which was for July, already started to moderate and inflation also already started to moderate. And we're now in a very strange situation where South Africa actually has a lower consumer inflation rate than the United States. And a lot of that has to do with the resilience in the currency, which is directly related to the fact that we're running a very large trade surplus at the moment and a very large current account surplus. So it's certainly helped the economy from that perspective. The other place where it's been very, very useful is that it's boosted government revenue without a doubt. Um, and that was a nice little windfall for them. And it is the key thing that made it possible for them to provide additional support um, after the, the riots and the unrest and the destruction and the mayhem we saw in July in KwaZulu-Natal and parts of Gauteng. So exports are important. And will this um, little nice lift we've got from the external env- uh, uh, environment, will it continue? Well, to answer that question, we have to look at two things. We have to look first at global growth, and secondly, we have to look at what is likely to happen to commodity prices. Now, as far as global growth is concerned, the general anticipation is that the recovery will continue. Over the last two weeks, we've seen growing nervousness in the markets. We've seen risk appetites have been incredibly um you know, very volatile, jumping up and down. It's all been driven really by concerns over the Delta variant, concerns that larger parts of the world economy will return to lockdown as a result of that. And that that might derail the current consensus or the current narrative in the market. And that is that the economy will continue to recover. But we need to look through this world has gotten smarter in terms of lockdown measures. That's the first point. They are better targeted to get the best health outcomes without completely slaughtering um, individual economies. So there's your first point. The second point is ultimately the vaccine rollouts and all of the countries will be accelerated. The IMF has also made additional funding uh, available to emerging markets, which will enable them to purchase vaccines and start rolling it out to the rest of the world. We may even get to a point where we have a glut in vaccines, where there is a a huge excess supply of vaccines. This is very much foreseeable um, going forward. So ultimately, the vaccines will do their jobs and they will start to support Uh, The global economy. We still have a very supportive policy environment across the world, especially in advanced economies, also particularly in the US. Even though the fiscal stimulus will slowly be scaled down um, in many, many countries, the direct support from governments to their citizens, to their households, and to their companies will be obviously um, uh, scaled back, Uh, going forward. We're also seeing the U.S. preparing to start normalizing its monetary policy, which has been a major support, particularly to risk appetites in the markets, and also has been a major support to households and companies the reality is that even as they normalise, it will remain highly accommodative. So at this stage there's little to suggest that the recovery won't continue. And the IMF numbers into that they in fact, in their latest edition, which was in July when they provided an update on their forecast, you can what they did is they revised all their forecast up. They're expecting 6% growth uh, this year, and they've revised the number for next year up to 4.9%, which in global terms is very robust. Because this year already, the world economy will recoup all the losses of last year. And from there on out, you're actually talking about actual growth, not just normalization off a low base. So the fact that we're looking at 4.9% growth for next year, that is very encouraging indeed. So the world economy will, uh, recovery will continue. It will be led by the US and China um, and it will provide a boost and support to South Africa's exports. The other element is of course, commodity prices. Now I've got to tell you in the markets, we have seen that the consensus view is the rally in commodity prices was temporary. It was caused by a bounce in demand um, in advanced countries as uh, they rolled out their vaccines very rapidly, which enabled them to open up their economy. And so demand rebounded in advanced countries and yet a lot of our commodities come from emerging economies. They are either sourced or processed in emerging economies. And emerging economies were still stuck in lockdown. So the, the sort of consensus narrative out there in the market is that, listen, this is a temporary thing. Don't get excited about it. It's a windfall game. Take it while you can get it, but it won't last. I kind of disagree with that story because what I think is happening is that the world is entering a period from which we cannot Uh, where things will change dramatically going forward. And the big factor here is climate change. Recently, the UN brought out uh, the report on the state of the climate, and we know we're in deep trouble. We are seeing the impact of that. Wildfires destroying villages. Uh, Record temperatures in Europe and Canada, of all places, for goodness sake. Um, In the U.S., uh, of over 40% in, in, in a town in Italy, we saw 45 uh, degrees Celsius temperatures. These are actually hell on earth. And and the world is running out of time to prevent or mitigate this scenario of hell on earth. So whether we like it or not, we need to shape up and we need to prepare and we need to invest um, a new infrastructure, a new energy and transport systems in a new Um, configuration of the economy in order to ensure that we can mitigate the damage of climate change. It's going to happen regardless. Um, But if we take action today in 20, 30 years time, uh, we will make a difference and we will ensure the globe's survival as a result of our actions today. So I think that that penny has landed, it has dropped. Um, In Europe, they're gearing up. 30% of each country's application to the EU fund has to be devoted um, uh, to investments in uh, new energy or uh, renewable energy and sustainable um, transport and infrastructure systems. At the same time, of course, We're also seeing in the US, where there's huge resistance to this idea, by the way, but even in the US, there's a push to make this transition to clean energy and transport systems. Now, the International Energy Agency have done a very great study on what does it mean? These new technologies, these uh, renewable technology, green technology, um, what type of commodities and um, intermediate inputs are consumed in green technology. And they found that in fact, green technology uses far more commodities than your traditional fossil fuel alternatives. And uh, it's a lot, it's between 30 to 40% more commodities. I've listed there for you which sort of commodities are, there's a high concentration on. If you're gonna electrify everything, you'll need lithium, you'll need cobalt, you'll need copper, you'll need rare, rare earth minerals, you'll need chrome, you'll need manganese, which South Africa has a lot of, in fact, among the world's largest deposits. So, the reality is, I'm not so convinced that the rise in commodity prices will indeed be temporary. I don't think you'll con- see a continued surge because there was a, a, a correction off a low base. But what you will probably see um, is that commodity prices will remain elevated over the next three to five years as this investment drive into green energy and green transport systems start to take off in a very meaningful way. And as a result, commodity prices have remained robust. It's actually defied analyst expectations. So that's another factor that we think will support exports and exports is likely to provide a boost to this economy over the next 12 months. The biggest obstacle to South Africa's economic growth is actually our energy constraint. That hasn't changed. So that's another factor that will determine our economic performance going forward. I show you the energy situation here. The the red line is um, electricity provisioned by ESCOM. And you can see that that is on a very definite downward trend. We've really been saved by the beige bar there because that has to a large extent compensated and kept the wheels on the bus turning, which is our renewable energy. So this is still a binding constraint to this economy. It is the main reason why we have seen this depressing trend. It is the factor that has contained growth in mining and in manufacturing production. And you can see that's where, that these are the long-term trends I was talking about. Are we just drifting sideways in terms of mining and manufacturing production? A similar pattern is visible if you look at um, construction activity, if you look at building plans passed and building completed. We've actually moved to a much lower level as far as that's concerned. We're at the lower end of the band now, but over the long term, it's just been drifting sideways. That's the long-term stagnation I was referring to. The good news is, though, government realizes that energy is a major problem. They're still not moving nearly fast enough as far as I'm concerned. With every policy initiative or change they announce, they take ages to change the actual laws which allow actions to occur. Government really needs to step up the pace of implementation when it comes to policy reforms. Nonetheless, on the upside, we've got the fifth bit window of your renewable energy program coming on stream. That will boost some activity. So this can be a source of activity for South Africa going forward. Um, and we also now have the concession which will allow companies to generate 100 megawatts of embedded generations. At NetBank, we see huge interest um, from, from companies aiming to take advantage of, uh, of this concession. So that's very good news. You could perhaps see a, a, you know, a surge in activity on this front, which could add to economic activity going forward. However, I still think that our energy policy is not smart. We're still talking about things like nuclear, where the reality is that it's just not an option for South Africa. We simply can't afford it. Not when our public debt burden is already over 100% of GDP, if we add the debt of state-owned enterprises. So the reality is, we have this obvious advantage in renewable energy, and we should just wake up and do a logical thing. What is that obvious advantage? We have endless amounts of sunshine, which they don't have in Germany, and yet they rely on renewable energy, and it has been a source of stable energy supply for them. Secondly, we have got lots of and plenty of wind. And finally, we've got the whole of the Karoo. We've got wide open spaces. So we really should be putting up solar plants like one in this picture. And that should be the focus of government's energy policy. Nonetheless, progress has been made on this front and it could lead to pockets of activity in renewable energy um, and in a better generation capacity. The other thing that could be a source of growth is government has identified certain key projects, infrastructure projects that they want to get going. You can all get a copy of this presentation. Those are the projects. Um, And it looks like they started to make progress on that front. It looks like they, they've got this whole unit, infrastructure um, uh, attached to the infrastructure fund that President Romopoulos has started and focused purely on getting some of these key projects off the ground. And it focused on a variety of things, from industrial development, to um, your energy infrastructure, um, to uh, student housing, um, and, you know, also to expanding broadband and making it more freely available. So there's a whole bunch of focus areas there. A big one that will receive attention is, of course, road infrastructure. And the other one, big one, is water infrastructure um, that is critical from government's perspective. What is interesting, though, is in the second half of last year and in the first quarter of this year, we saw that capital expenditure by government picked up, which is that green line there, that's encouraging. So perhaps they are starting to make progress on this front. And secondly, we saw that state-owned enterprises also started to spend a little bit more on capital expenditure. So if they can get this off the ground in a meaningful way, that will make a difference to economic growth. And it is absolutely necessary that government does this because the private sector is not going to expand operations. And the reason for that is that they sit worth Excess spare capacity and demand hasn't picked up to such an extent that private companies are going, oh, I'm going to expand my operations and undertake big CapEx projects. It just doesn't make sense from that perspective to do that unless you export. So the bottom line is government will have to lead this time around, the recovery and fixed investment. And so perhaps they are starting to get their act together on that front. And then the final factor that we think will uh, determine economic performance going forward is the fact that in South Africa, we have a situation where inflation has remained fairly contained, that has supported purchasing power among households. We've also seen that households have been exceptionally responsible throughout this crisis. They have, in fact, become net savers. I know it's, it's hard to believe that South African households could have become net savers, but they have in fact. Um, so uh, that means they've got the stash of savings. At the same time, inflation is quite contained. Interest rates have come all the way down. And that means that the scene is set for a continued recovery in consumer spending. As confidence, some of that savings might be rediverted towards spending, that will help keep the wheels on the bus turning in the South African economy. Now, interest rates will normalize at some point. There's no denying that. That's a whole different story and I need far more time to go into reasons for that. But even as interest rates normalize, we believe, as you can see from the red line there, that by the time we get to 2024, interest rates are still going to be lower than they were before the pandemic struck. So interest rates will still be supportive of uh, credit demand. It will still be supportive of consumer spending. And so as a result, we think this fairly strong rebound in retail sales and wholesale sales, and even to some extent, a new vehicle sales will continue and will provide some momentum to the economy. So what are we thinking at this point? We are thinking that the economy will probably continue to recover. Remember, That recovery is a normalization in economic activity of an artificial base. We're looking at growth of around 4% this year, of around 2% for next year. Thereafter, a lot will depend on whether we can actually get our act together in terms of solving the electricity crisis And secondly, in terms of government getting infrastructure spending off the ground, if they can do that, our growth potential will improve substantially. If they can't do that, then the outcome will be that that long-term trend of economic stagnation will remain firmly in place. So all that's left for me to do is to thank you for listening. Over to you, Trevor. Thanks for
0: that. As always, interesting, and you certainly raise some, some very good points there. There's time just for one question, and uh, I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot and take you back to your presentation that you actually gave last year this time. And we asked you what were the key priorities that you thought governments needed to do in the next year. So now we are a year down the line, and those key points that you mentioned last year was to tackle corruption and restore accountability. It was to deregulate the energy sector, and I think you've largely spoken about that in your presentation now. You also mentioned to provide certainty on property rights, and then lastly, for governments to act on the unions in terms of wage costs with government employees. Do you want to just comment on where you think government has got on those critical areas i know you've discussed energy so if we talk about corruption property rights and the wage costs
1: on corruption we may i suppose the best way of putting it is we we have certainly taken baby steps in the right direction um president zuma is in jail at the moment well is 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 released but there was legal action um it was executed um and uh, you know, that is a step in the right direction. We're also seeing uh, the National Prosecuting Authority bringing many cases to court that relates to, to corruption, and some of them are high profile cases. So uh, we are, we've taken baby steps in the right direction. We're not at that point where we've completely addressed it. And I think very importantly, we're not at that point where we've eradicated it from the public sector, and that, that is the key you actually don't want it happening anymore. And that final step is to bring better governance into the whole process, whether it be around tenders, whether it be around procurement practices and, you know, better supervision, better governance within the public sector. I don't think we're quite there yet. We, there are too many incidences where that's still happening. And then finally, in terms of property rights, I don't think we've provided much reassurance legally. Property rights is weakened in South Africa from a legislative perspective. But what we are seeing is a good example of that and now in Mpumalanga, is that the the focus of this particular administration under President Ramaphosa is clearly not to disrupt the private sector. It is clearly to state land and to redistribute that um, uh, to uh, those uh, need. I guess that's an encouraging development. Of course, it doesn't change the fact that the legislative protection of property rights have in fact been weakened. Then the third one on labor, we haven't addressed that
0: whatsoever. Thanks, Nikki. Let's see, as you said, it's not probably looking that rosy then and hopefully they will be listening to your recommendations for economic growth the next 12 months. Nikki, thank you so much for coming in, speaking to us again today and we certainly look forward to having you back at one of our future webinars and good luck in tackling all your economic problems going forward so appreciate your time. Nedgroup Collective Investments is an authorized collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Nedgroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions please visit nedgroupinvestments.co.za